Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new live, not a rerun, episode of The Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. And my name is Father Peter Musk. And my name is Scott Powell. Dr. Scott Powell. Yes. Not the real Pinky, kind. pinky to the mouth, Dr. Scott Powell. Yes. Doesn't he make, doesn't Dr. Evil and Austin Powers make some comment of me? He's like, I didn't spend seven years in evil medical school. To be called Mister. <laughs> no, I, that? I, I, I think I watched that once and was like, I think I watched it um, when I was in seminary, and I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be watching <laughs> this, is not this for the holy people of God. Yeah. Oh well. Good old Doctor Evil. Good old Doctor Evil. Well, it is a beautiful Thursday morning in Boulder, Colorado. Fifty-four degrees, low wind. Traffic is terrible. I found out coming in. It is the 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time. Well, we just said it was Thursday. But coming up is the 31st Sunday <laughs> in Ordinary Time. And um, I uh, I had to say, man, I really love Zacchaeus. Do you? I do. I've got, uh, oh, I've got a lot to say about Zacchaeus, man. I've got a lot to say today. I hope it makes sense. I'm going to propose something. Propose. Which we have rarely done, but there is flip, precedent for it. Flippity-floppy. The flippity-flip-flip. What do you think? Oh, man, I'm all in. I, I, I realize I have nothing to say about the other readings outside of their relationship <laughs> to the gospel. You know well, what I'm saying? Well, I was reading. I mean, that's like it's like how much can you give the context of wisdom? That's This is wisdom yeah. literature. <laughs> this is a collection of things, of wise things. <laughs> that's not, do you listen to the podcast? I do listen I to the podcast. Give, I always give uh, context for wisdom literature. Well, I know. That's what, that's what I'm Wisdom saying. Wisdom is like, one of the deuterocanonical books. It is often attributed to Solomon, although the Meritorian canon attributes to Solomon friends, regarded as pseudepigrapha by Origen, Augustine, Jerome, and etc. Dude, but what does Tertullian say about it is really my question. I don't have that in my notes. Well, that's the biggest problem that we have faced today. Here's one thing I will say about Wisdom before we get in. <laughs> okay. It is, one of the themes of it is the small s, sacramentality of nature. Mm, that nature reveals God, thing. which... Which I think that nature ties reveals in. God. Okay, I just wanted I was talking nature over reveals you. God. Okay, yeah. Which I want you to think about that in terms of our gospel today. The person who's trying to hide in nature and is revealed. Ooh. <laughs> so anyway, all that being said, so can we start with the gospel today and work backwards? Yes. All right. Well, our first reading is from Wisdom. Yeah. Chapter eleven. Yeah. Verses twenty-two to twelve-two. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is one one two two one two two. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I can do with that. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm trying to find something. There's nothing. All right. Our psalm is Psalm 145, one of my favorite psalms. I really dig this psalm. I'll you, tell you why soon. You could put on your tutu and yeah. dance around very, and very recite well. this psalm. I, my, my mother uh, was a professional ballerina, so I, we our house was always full of tutus. Which, on occasion, you would don for your friends, well, I'm it's, sure. Well, I will say this. So in high school, we would, uh, Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. We would, I would often in high school borrow my mom's car because I was a high schooler. And I would drive her car, and everybody kind of knew. Like when we were out like doing things, having fun in Boulder as weirdo high schoolers, everybody knew that Scott's car, the trunk, was always filled with tutus. <laughs> <laughs> so like, do you have tutus in your mom's car? <laughs> so the tutus would come out once in a while. <laughs> okay. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 145, verses 1 through 2, 8 through 9, 10 through 11, and 13, and then 14. And then C1. Mm, is the response itself, yes. Yes. Very good. Our second reading is Second Thessalonians mm. 1 through mm. 11 uh, to 2-2. Two, two. Is that the same <laughs> as the first reading? Yeah. 11 
one. 22. Oh, wow. It's close. Yeah. Those <laughs> numbers, man. Are... Dude, it's like one, 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 two, two. Mm, Dude, those... this is the two. This is the second Thessalonians. The Sunday, two, two. Two, two. two, two Sunday. So it's, it's two, one, 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 two, two. There's probably some sort of numerological symbol in there about the end of the world. <laughs> You know the weird numerology in the Bible? Oh, yeah. I don't buy into that stuff. Numbers have vast significance, but numerology is something that's different. Anyway, uh, our gospel is coming from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And which you're talking about numerology is just like the stars. Stars have tremendous amount of significance, but you cannot do like horoscope stuff. That's bad. You don't use them for. Just That's like a good analogy. I yeah. wrote you off as soon as you started talking about it. You actually created a very good analogy. I thought yeah. you were going to make a joke. I don't write you off. Sorry, that came out poorly. <laughs> I thought you were going to make a dumb joke or a pun or something and make fun of me and try to derail me. But you didn't. That was actually a really good analogy. Uh, so <laughs> hey, man, it's I'm the... sorry for being super negative. Hey, dude. I love you. I love you, too. Um, so, so Luke, man. Okay, so we know the story of Zacchaeus. I do a little research the other day, okay. trying to dig around, saying, what can I find that's new about Zacchaeus that I've never known? I really, you guys, when we do this podcast, one of my things that I really try to do is I want to learn as well. And I want, and especially because it's been three years, three and a half years, we've gone through the cycle. I really want to challenge myself to learn things that I've never seen before and find these things. I don't want, especially don't want this podcast to just be us recycling, you know, oh, okay, well, let me tell you my profound wisdom about this thing. Like we really try to put in the work to try to find what are the new insights because God's mercies are new every morning. There's a reason the church goes through these cycles every single year after year after year because after a lifetime, you're supposed to always be seeing new things. And sometimes I fall into the trap though of being like, oh, this story is Zacchaeus. Easy. I'm going to wing this one. I know this one. No problem. Yeah. Like but this you, week you, I was challenged the, with that. You take the insight that you had the most profound insight that you had and you say, okay, got this. Yeah. Like, like, that's the worst. Which is, it's just interesting. Like the, the nature of mystery in the church is not like, hey, we can solve a bunch of clues and then we figure out who done it. Yeah. It's no, we actually engage with the mystery and every engagement of the mystery draws us further into, into the, the heart of God. And yeah. it's, it's un, it's unplumbable. Unplumbable. Is that a word? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, right. to plumb the depths. But that is a temptation I fall into sometimes, and I don't want to fall into that temptation yeah. because you guys are worth more than that. The liturgy is worth way more than that, and the scriptures have a lot more value than that. So and, anyway, so that being said, oh, what? Yeah. No, please. And your preparation for your homilies, bishop and fathers, is like, like you know, I was just on retreat, and uh, Monsignor, <laughs> Monsignor Charles Pope, he said, he said, um, he said, read the readings. He said, he said to like, you? To the whole... The oh, whole this wasn't a critique of the podcast. No, no, no. He said... He said <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, he, said, he said, read the readings. He said, like, what we can do is we can say, oh, Zacchaeus. Okay, yep, got that. Like, I know yeah. I know what we're I know yeah. talking about. Yeah. Oh, I bet... I didn't even think of that from a priest, which is a much better application than me as a, a lowly podcaster. Yeah, no to totes. Totes my goats. So, here's what I found. Doing a little digging. And this isn't this isn't original to me. I found some other people have seen this. Right before now, I don't know exactly why, because where did what, what was our gospel last week? Gospel last week was Oh, I don't know. It was uh, in chapter 18, right? I don't know where it was. Well, but we we kind of jumped over a lot. We've been Oh, the Pharisee who was like, Thank goodness I'm not like those. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those people, or like that tax collector. Remember the Pharisee and, oh, absolutely. and the publican? We jump over a lot, and right after that, um, you, you have these passages where Jesus 
Jesus gets pretty real. And he says it, it's in uh, chapter 18, verse 31. It says he took aside the 12 and he said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all these things are going to be accomplished. He will be, de- the son of man will be delivered to the Gentiles, be mocked, treated shamefully, spit upon, scourged and killed. And on the third day, he's going to rise. And they're, they're kind of having trouble. They didn't, it said they didn't, um, the saying was heart was hid from them and they didn't grasp what he had said. Hmm. So our setup for this is that Jesus just said what's waiting for him. Remember, this whole last few weeks, we've been moving an inch and closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. His right. end is coming. Because the liturgy wants us to be thinking about the fact that the end of the uh, ordinary time is coming. Right, that, that, it's, that we're heading towards the kind of summation of all things found in Christ, the yeah. Christ the King, when yeah. everything's brought together. Now, originally in the Bible, there's no chapter divisions. And sometimes we have to, chapter divisions are one of those things, some poor monk, you know, in the Middle Ages had to put him in, try to figure out where do I divide up the chapters. But those are not part of what is inspired and inerrant, right? They're just something to help us read scriptures. So if you take out the chapter division between chapter 18 and 19, something changes. Because you have Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus seems like he's the story that kind of stands on its own. But right before Zacchaeus, you have the story of, the healing of, of the blind Bartimaeus. He's not named in Luke. He's named in Mark, but it's the same story. This blind man who's healed Cries by the side out. of the road. If you take the story of the healing of the blind man yep. and the story of Zacchaeus and you put them together, you find this really profound unified narrative that is chiastic and beautiful. Chiastic meaning there's parallels of things. So the, think about the, it. The first coordinates to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The middle coordinates to the middle yeah, and yeah, this, yeah. there's a center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm oh, excited. Yeah, I'm dude, getting excited. Dude, that's cool. So I it. didn't even see this. I didn't either. I had to read. And I, I credit uh, our, our buddy, Kenneth Bailey, who oh, has Ken. become, I've, I've, fall, I've re-fallen in love with Kenneth Bailey and his theology and his scholarship over the last year or so. Because this is interesting. Keep going. Okay. So what's going on? At the beginning of the Healing of the Blind Man, it says that Jesus begins to enter this city called Jericho. So, well, in, in the simplest form, at the beginning, when he's healing this blind man, he's about to enter into Jericho. And then when he sees Zacchaeus, he is leaving Jericho. So the blind man is on the way into town. Zacchaeus is on the way out of town. Oh. In the healing of the blind man, what you have, and this is where the kind of weird paradox of who Jesus is begins to come out. What we expect, who do we expect, who did the people expect Jesus to kind of come for? He expects, and we expect, Jesus to come to heal and to free the oppressed. And so what is he doing? In the first part of the story, in the healing of the blind man, he is healing someone who is oppressed, a poor... Physically oppressed. Physically oppressed, probably outcast by society. Yeah, physically, culturally, um, I mean... Socially, yeah. Socially, that's what I was looking for. At the end, he heals an oppressor. At the beginning, he heals an oppressed. At the end, with Zacchaeus, he actually heals an oppressor. He flips it on its head. Mm. And you see that at the beginning, for example... When do you remember the story? Of the, the story of the blind man. It really opens this whole thing wide open because he's going in. For, first, let me set the scene first because there's so many interesting little tidbitty bits. Um, so he's going into Jericho, and uh, he was passing through, and there was this. Oh wait, sorry. As he drew near to Jericho, it's verse 35 of chapter 18. There was a blind man sitting by the road begging. One of the things that that this comes out so many times in the Bible that just to know culturally. So when a dignitary in the Middle Eastern culture. When a dignitary or somebody very important was coming to visit your town, 
the culture of the town, this helps define something Paul says about what we sometimes think of as the rapture in First Thessalonians. It helps to explain Palm Sunday. It explains a lot of things. But when an important person is coming to visit a city in, a, in the Middle Eastern world, the city will go out of the town to meet him, right? Right. So we see this is, a, you know, First Thessalonians, this is probably what's happening in Palm Sunday. And apparently, the more important a person is, the further outside of the town the people will go to go and greet him. And they'll greet the person and they'll come and process back in with them. So in Jericho, people have heard about Jesus and they get really excited and really riled up. So they go out to meet him. And it's on the way into town that he meets Bartimaeus by the side of the road, or at least who we presume it. Um, Kenneth Bailey told this story that I, I just thought was really cool about um, back in the 80s. And I forget his name, Nasser, I think. The president or the, uh, yeah, the king or the president of Egypt, the leader of Egypt, right? Okay who was really well-respected, really popular. Everybody loved him. Kenneth Bailey was living in Cairo at the time. And the president was coming to visit this city, I think, I guess Cairo. And his motorcade was coming into the town. And the people went out like 10 miles to meet him there. And this huge crowd showed up, blocked the road, because they were so excited to see him, because he was such a big deal. And they made the motorcade shut off the engines of the cars. They tied ropes to the front bumpers of all the vehicles, <laughs> and the people pulled and dragged the vehicles. They put them in neutral, and they dragged the vehicles into town as this huge show of respect that we are going to usher you into the city. Whoa. Which is so powerful to me. That and is it, powerful. Isn't it? And it kind of gives you insight into the culture. So they hear Jesus is coming. They go out of the city to meet him. This again, I think this is what's happening in Palm Sunday. They hear, hey, somebody's coming and riding a donkey. That's what kings do. Somebody's making a play for the Messiahship. Let's go out and meet him on the way and put palm branches down. This is it, There's a cultural reality here. Yeah. So they go out of the city. They're super pumped about him. And there's this blind man on the side of the road who is yelling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And I found out that in the Gospels, there's only two times or two people that call Jesus the son of David. Which surprised me a little bit because yeah, that's, that's a pretty a, powerful line. Yeah, I mean, and that's a, that's also like for us, that's what we think of. It's like Jesus is the heir. We do. It's only two times though. It's the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15 and then this blind beggar. And they're the only ones that actually do this. Um, so he's crying out. He, he sees. He gets. So you just were given this scene where the disciples are told by Jesus what's about to happen. They don't get it. This guy standing, sitting on the side of the road who can't even see Gets it. He sees, right? Yeah. In a way that's even more profound than the, than the apostles do. So he's yelling out. He's crying out for Jesus to heal him. And he's the oppressed in a certain sense. He's the outcast. He's physically oppressed. He's the guy that you expect Jesus to heal. So he's yelling out, have mercy on me. And what does the crowd do? Do you remember? They try to shut him up, right? They try to shut him up. So what happens? The crowd who are excited about Jesus coming to set them free turns into the oppressor. The crowd turns into the oppressor of this guy. Mm. And then what does Jesus do? He flips the table. He's like, no, you guys who are making fun of him and mocking him and oppressing him, you go be my hands and feet and bring him here. Mm. You actually be my dignitaries and bring him back. And so the whole, it's the scene and then he heals this guy. And um, it's this, it's this, I mean, there's a lot more we could say about uh, what happens. It, it's, you know, I was reading one commentary and it was saying, you know, if you're a blind person, it's actually fairly lucrative because, you know, if if you all sorts of there's all sorts of reasons to be on the side of the road begging for money. Well, it was it was like uh, my father, my friend, Father Mike Rapp, when he was in seminary, he went to go be in solidarity with the poor and he had a sign on the side of the road. He was hanging out with some homeless folks and he looked like he looked decent. And this uh, homeless lady came up to him and just tore his shirt open 
Really? Said, yeah, she said, you're never going to make any money looking like that. Oh, I've, yeah, I've heard this story. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this story. Yeah, but but, th- but that's the thing is it's it's like there's a certain sense of, of like, yeah, it could be lucrative actually to be on the side of the road in, in this thing because that people are people are generous and there there is a real generosity in humanity. Yeah, and maybe lucrative is the wrong thi- well and and it, there there's a there's a cultural reality in the Middle East where it's not, you know, if you were one of these people, you wouldn't just be crying out, "Hey, help me, I need I need help." You would actually the cultural understanding was you being there to give alms to and to give generosity to was allowing people to give glory to God. Mm. I and they would actually recognize like I am a tool for you to give God glory. And what does he do? He follows after Jesus and he cries out, please heal me. Let me receive my sight. In Mark's gospel, it's even more stark. He's the one that says to, to whom Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He had just said that line a few lines earlier in Mark when the disciples came and said, hey, we want you to give us the thrones at your right and your left hands. Mm. And when he was like, what do you want me to do for you? This guy, when he says, what do you want me to do? He says what all of us who are trying to be disciples are supposed to say, which is I'm blind. Help me to see. Right. Help me to see. So he gets it. He is the oppressed. Jesus heals him. People are even more excited. They've all felt sort of shamed and slapped on the wrist because they realize, oh, geez, we've become the oppressors to this guy. Jesus called us out. Now he's healed. Everything's great. And then we get to the story of Zacchaeus, and it it says that Jesus was passing through the town, which, again, culturally speaking, if they were going out to meet this guy, if they've heard he's coming, they probably want him to stay. They probably want him to share a meal. You get the sense that Jesus rejects all that. He's like, no, I'm just passing through. I'm not going to stop. I'm sure he's been invited to a banquet. I'm sure he's been invited to people's houses. This is just the cultural reality. But he, he doesn't accept any of it. So it says he passes through the town. This is where we pick up our reading this week. He intended to pass through the town, rather. So he's coming out the other side. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, the little mob boss, right? Also very wealthy, who was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he couldn't see him because of the crowd, because he was short in stature. So this guy is presumably hated in the community. He is understood to be the collaborator with the evil Rome. You know, I see Danny DeVito. <laughs> I always see, and we talked. I think we talked about this last year or two years ago, three years ago. I always see the guy from The Princess Bride. <gasps> oh, he's so good. That's who I that's, always picture Zacchaeus as. Yeah. That's Isn't great. that perfect? That's perfect. Maybe Danny DeVito with the mob boss thing. I always see the guy from Princess Bride. Anyway. I, I think I'm going to change my mob boss picture in my brain. Isn't that guy perfect, though? Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> Stop, and I mean it. Okay, so everybody hates this guy. So he, and really, in a certain level, he should be kind of watching his back because he's like, okay, I'm in this crowd, which is why, if you notice, he kind of avoids the crowd. Yeah. He runs ahead of the crowd. He finds this sycamore tree, this which is a fig tree. And why does he find a, a sycamore tree? It, it's, it's a fig sycamore tree or sycamore fig tree. And the reason he finds it is because on a, on a sycamore tree like this, the leaves are really, really big, which oh. meant big leaves, which this is probably why Adam and Eve seek out the fig tree, because the leaves are really big because they have to cover up, remember? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're looking to cover up, if you're looking to hide yourself, the biblical theme is you find a fig tree, right? Right. Or sycamore fig. So that's why Zacchaeus goes up there because oh. he needs to hide himself for a couple different reasons. Because, um, well, number one, he's hated by the crowd. Number two, he might not want anybody to know his fascination with this Jesus guy because he's a collaborator. He works for the bad guys. He's he's part of that structure of oppression that we hate. Right. But also to climb. So a few weeks ago, we talked about the prodigal son story. Remember this? Yeah. Like a month ago or something. 
And we talked about, we stressed this idea that for a noble man, for a man, an elder man to run in the Hebrew culture was, was just totally unacceptable. I know. And, and every time Zacchaeus starts running in this story, I'm like, you can just, you can feel it in the words. It's like, this is, this is something, something very different is happening. Well, here. do you know what's worse than running for that culture? Climbing. Climbing a tree. Really? Would be so, I mean, that's what children did. A, a man, especially a wealthy man, a powerful man, did not climb trees. It's so much worse than, I mean, there was an analogy I, I read that, you know, the, 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 the prodigal son, the, the father running in that story, you know, it's akin to like the president of the United States showing up at the podium wearing a Speedo for a press conference. <laughs> like that, that's the cultural equivalent of it. And you're like, you don't do that. <sighs> Climbing a tree is even worse. And uh, Ken Bailey, I keep going to Kenneth Bailey. He told this story again when he was living in Cairo, Egypt. The um, John F. Kennedy's ambassador, I like this story. John F. Kennedy's ambassador, I forget what his name was, but his ambassador to Egypt, the U.S.'s ambassador to Egypt, okay. was you know living in his home in Cairo, and he was having a big um, party at the embassy. And so the U.S. ambassador, because it's not our cultural thing, he climbed up one of the trees in the back garden to hang some lights, right? And people like the workers and the people helping him out were just totally shocked. Such to the degree that that night at the party, or maybe it was like weeks later, the president of Egypt pulled him aside and was like, what is this I heard about you climbing a tree? Really? He's like, is that true? Did you do that? And he's like, I was just hanging hanging lights because he's an American. We don't have that. But it was so shocking to that culture that the ambassador was pulled aside by the president to say, <laughs> what have I heard about you? <laughs> so just to put it in a little bit of context, because this guy's important. He's powerful. He climbed a tree. And he wants he climbed that tree. Remember, he ran ahead of the crowd because he doesn't want to be seen. He climbs the tree with the big leaves to be hidden. And guess what? Then Jesus comes out, and what does he do? Hey, Zacchaeus totally calls him he out. He totally. Well, here's here's another question. I wondered about this. How does he know his name? I mean, you want to be able to say just, well, he's God and he knows everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he does. Of course God knows everything. But I think there's another piece to that. I don't think, and I don't know this for sure. And I'm not. I'm stealing this from others. I don't think Jesus was the first one to spot him. I think other people in the crowd are like, hey, it's Zacchaeus up in the dang tree. What is he doing up there? What are you doing, Zacchaeus? Uh And all of a sudden, the people who are oppressed by this man, who are terrified of this guy, now have the freedom, because there's a big mob mentality on the ground, to mock him and call him names and totally berate him for being up in a tree. This guy we hate anyway. Zacchaeus, you look like an idiot. Zacchaeus, you know, come and get us now. You know, who knows? I just wonder, you know, mob mentalities, what are they yelling? at him absolutely so i think jesus comes into this and he's like oh that must be zacchaeus because everyone's yelling at him and his cover hasn't worked and if you're zacchaeus you're just like oh man you're like dude this my cover's is totally blown so humbled so humbled and he stops and the people i mean imagine you're in that crowd you know who jesus is claiming to be you know that the messiah is supposed to set you free from the oppressors and he stops and he looks at him and he addresses him you're in the crowd you're like yeah, he's going to call this guy out. Yeah, he's going to call out the oppressor. Ha ha, Zacchaeus. Like, Come on down, Zacchaeus. Come on down. Why? Because I'm going to dine with you. What has he just presumably done in the town? They probably offered him a banquet and he rejected it. He's, and now he's, he's like, passing I'll go back. I'm going to go back to town. I'm going to have a banquet, but I'm going to go to your house. 
And I mean, can you imagine the reaction of that crowd all of a sudden? It would have because it would have sucked the air out of the. I mean, the atmosphere would have just been depleted of all oxygen. I mean, everybody would have been crestfallen. Not only that, not only because of the cultural reasons, but in in the Hebrew tradition, I think we talked about this before. In the Hebrew tradition, tax collectors were considered ritually unclean. Because of their connection to the pagan world and the, the world of Rome. So to go into a tax collector's home, to sit on his chairs, to touch his table, you would be defiled. You yeah. would be rendered unclean. So not only is this just like, we don't like this guy, but they hear Jesus, the supposed, this rabbi, this supposed Messiah is going to go and defile himself in an unclean man's house? Are you kidding me? Yeah. But he does it. Well, and this is what I'm thinking. Like, I'm not sure we mentioned this on the podcast last time. We probably did. But if we, in relationship to blindness, it's mm. like here are all these people who are underneath him and they're blind to the reality of this man. Yeah. They can't see the good. They, they see bad fruit in a tree. Whereas oh, Jesus good. sees good fruit within the tree. But there's another level. to That's beautiful. That's profound. They, they, in a tree. I love that. But then there's another level to it, because what has Jesus actually done? This is what really blew my mind. What has Jesus actually done? He has taken this oppressor. He has healed him in a, certain, mm-hmm. in a very real way. But how has he healed him? Everyone hates Zacchaeus. Everyone's mocking Zacchaeus. Everyone is you know, berating Zacchaeus. What does Jesus do? He takes the hatred of the crowd away from Zacchaeus, and he applies it onto himself. He takes Zacchaeus's hatred mm. and he becomes the hated. How can this man do this? He's going to dine at the home of a sinner. Who is this guy? All of it is now shifted onto Jesus who takes the consequences mm. for Zacchaeus's sin. In that moment, the shifting wow. of the crowd. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, like he purifies. And he takes it all. So now he's the hated one. And then what the other thing that really blew me away. So that I thought was like, whoa, he takes it all on himself. Yeah. And then he goes to his house. And what's cool about the story of Zacchaeus, so he goes to his house and then Zacchaeus has this profound conversion. He had the curiosity, you know, he had the fascination. And now he has this profound conversion. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor if I've exhorted anything, which clearly he has. I'm going to repay it four times over. All of these things. Jesus says salvation has come to this house. But Okay, I, I, and this is the thing is, okay, okay. No, make, no, go, make, go, go. This is, this is the thing. Okay, this man has obviously made a lot of money because if he can pay, me, meaning if he's paying four times back, yeah. meaning he's made more than four times the money off of what he's extorted. That's a lot of money. And, and which means that- You see why everyone hates ha- him. Half his possessions. He's saying, not only am I going to return what I owe four times over, yeah. but I'm actually going to share the profits. Yeah. So he's yeah. I'm, I'm half my possessions four times over here. Okay, what happens next in the scriptures? Jesus gives a parable, and he gives the parable of the talents right after this. Does he? Yeah, he says he goes in and he starts to say, "If you, if you know, oh, yeah. to those who have given <laughs> given much, much will be expected." Nice. All of a sudden, what we're seeing is Luke. Luke is showing us before we even get to the talents that. Like the the Lord is actually like here's a shrewd businessman who's made a lot of money. Yeah. Now he's done it in an oppressive way. But yeah. what what happens is that in his conversion, he is he's like the son who says no, I won't go into the vineyard, and then but then goes anyway. Yeah. And, then, and gives in like and, and there's there's something powerful about like 
this this restitution and yes. and and having that parable even in relationship to this because yeah I, I I just saw that as we were going through and I was like my gosh okay it's it's really it makes the parable way more complex it really does because the truth is is Zacchaeus is a shrewd businessman right and he is he is actually a powerful leader of people yep he's like even though like he he he's doing it according to the dark side. Even the, he, the he dark can, side. He can redeem all of that. Yes. Yeah. In, absolutely. And and Jesus actually gives a parable precisely for that. And we in in all this judgment because these other people they're like we've got nothing and here's yeah. Zacchaeus has everything. Yeah. And he's like oh and so you're you're relating to me out of fear whereas Zacchaeus is saying no I'm just going to go. He has actually he's yeah. actually extorting yeah. the fearlessness of this other man. He is. He absolutely is. So, well, the only thing I was going to add to that. Um, which and you articulated the fruit. Of, the thing that's so beautiful about this is that this is one of the only times that you get what happens on the other end of salvation. So, so for example, what would <laughs> what would it be like for the prodigal son the day after the banquet? Like, what was his life like the next day? You know what mm. I mean? You ever think about that? He was welcomed back this huge banquet. What does his life look like? What is the what is the story of the good Samaritan after he's cared for and taken up at the end? What what does his life look like the next day? Mm. What are the fruits that come out of this? We never get to see that. We never get to see the response and the reaction and the fruit that comes out of their life from that, except with Zacchaeus. And in Zacchaeus's case, we actually get to see the other side. Here's the response of the person who has received this profound mercy and grace and forgiveness. Here's the effect that it has. And I think Zacchaeus is one of the only cases where we actually get to see that, which I just think is really beautiful because we never get to see the other side of the story. It's really interesting because this actually somebody taught me to do uh, my examination of conscience, my exam at the end of the day to ask where you you spend the time and you say, where was the Lord today? Hmm. And once you discover yelling the Lord, yelling at me from that tree, yelling at me from the, I was up in a tree and the Lord was down there. He was yelling at me. It was crazy. Look at my mom or something. And um, and uh, and then you ask the question, how did I respond? Yeah. And that's actually where like the the Zacchaeus response is so powerful. In yeah. That. Yeah, it is. And so all that being said, then we look back at the other readings this week, and I know we don't have much time to dig into them, but. They're all sort of the response of Zacchaeus. They're all commentary on Zacchaeus's response. What happens at the other end of salvation? Um, it, uh, wisdom, wisdom is a little bit more complex. I love the wisdom reading, though. Remember, wisdom, um, we mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, oftentimes will speak mm. about the world of creation as uh, testimony to God. We can see God in all these ways. All of the, all of the, not even just creation, but all of the ways in which God will make his glory known. You can, you know, God makes his glory known through a sunset. God makes his glory known through the Indian peaks, you know, as I drive to work every day. God makes his glory known through, you know, the, the, the conversion of students who come to our events, you know, at St. Thomas Aquinas. God makes his glory known through a little mob boss who everybody hated, who totally changes his life. Yes. That's what the wisdom literature is actually trying to get us to see. Do you see the world in those terms? Right. Are you looking, are your eyes open to all the ways in which God's glory is manifest? It says, before the Lord, the whole universe is but a grain from a balance or a drop of morning dew to come down on the earth. But you have mercy on all, even Zacchaeus, even this guy that we all, I mean, picture, <clears throat> picture the person in your life that you hate the most. 
picture the <laughs> picture the political candidate that you hate more than anybody else, <laughs> the unredeemable one, and that could be a lot of different folks, right? Put that person's name in the first reading this Sunday. Challenge yourself to that. But you have mercy on all because you can do all things and you overlook people's sins that they may repent for you love the things that are and loathe nothing that you have made. The Lord doesn't loathe anyone that he's made. Everybody else loathes Zacchaeus. We all loathe some political figure or some person or whatever it is. There's all sorts of things that we loathe. Do you think about the fact that God does not loathe anything that he has made because he knows it and he knows that person from the womb and has formed them and created them and probably weeps over them when they turn away from him. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's a, it became a profound reflection to me of the people that we consider irredeemable mm. and that God loathes nothing that he has made. He has made that person that you loathe or that thing that you hate or that you know, group of people that you think are are useless or evil or whatever it is. He made them and formed them in the womb and had had their minds in his mind from the beginning of eternity. I don't know. It's just a fascinating reflection to me. It's it's challenging for me to read that, right? Yeah, well, and, and that's where I says uh, where I, I see him saying, therefore you rebuke offenders little by little. He says yeah. he overlooks sins that they may repent. But then you just go a little bit by a little bit, poco a poco. Mm. He just says, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop you down. And sometimes we actually don't wanna do a little bit by a little bit. What we wanna say is like, I'm totally horrible, this is awful. But he's like, yeah. No, no, that you may repent. He's he's like, actually, no, I'm just kinda come be with you. Yeah. I mean, and just that's come like, down from the tree. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Come down from the tree. I'm gonna come to your house. We're gonna hang out, we're gonna have a meal. Mm. And and it's like in that that you're gonna say, like, oh, like like it'll bring you back to your senses. Yeah. Yeah. Which the response then to that, to that kind of mercy, the only appropriate response, is Psalm 145. Which I is, will praise your name forever, my King and my God. I think you need Mark Thomas's accompaniment with that. <laughs> that that's probably the problem. That is. So, see, I, I think uh, Kim Perez just was like, no, stop singing frogs. I will praise your name forever. What's the response of Zacchaeus? I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to give it back. And I hope I will praise your name forever. Mm. This is my king. I mean, you want Jesus could have stood and given a huge speech, a rousing speech to this crowd. He could have done a bunch of miracles and made lightning come from the sky. But instead, he chose to work in the heart of this one particular guy. So that that guy can say something like, I will praise your name forever because you are my king mm-hmm. and you are my God because you've changed my life because you've brought me back from the pit. Mm-hmm. I will extol, extol your name forever. Every day I'll praise you because you're gracious and merciful and full of kindness and good to all, including the likes of me, including the likes of these people that are distasteful. Psalm 145, um, what's cool about it is it, it's, a, it's an acrostic psalm. We've talked about acrostics, I think, before. So yeah, yeah, you have every... to wear rubber gloves, otherwise you'll get burned. Right. What is that really? What is the real word there? Caustic. I don't know what that word means. Caustic means that it has acid in it and it'll burn you and eat your flesh. Well, if you if you misuse the word of God, perhaps <laughs> burn up your flesh. An acrostic means every subsequent every line of the psalm begins with a subsequent letter of the alphabet. Aleph, bet, gimel, het. Right. So, you know, in in English, it would be the first line starts with an A, the second line with a B, the third line with a C. And the idea of this is that that God's glory extends from A to Z, 
from everything. There is nothing in the world, there's no word you could come up with from beginning to end that God's glory and God's mercy cannot reach. Again, even the likes of Zacchaeus. It is from beginning to end. It is everything from A to Z, alpha to omega. That's the idea of an acrostic hymn. So this is one of the most profound, longest, best praise psalms. Again, it's put in an acrostic form so as to drill that point home, that his praise is from beginning to end. It is all-inclusive. It is complete. It is totality. There is no part of creation, no person in creation that it does not reach, should that person respond. Well, even if they don't respond, it's still going to reach them. They can reject it. Yeah. But that's the idea of the acrostic. So... Um, I, I see it as this profound response to what God has done, yeah. and then we get Saul, and then we get Second uh, Thessalonians. It's all, it's all part of the West Coast family, ABC, BBD, Boys to Men. Nice, wow, that's yeah. quite a pull. Yeah, talk to me about Second Thessalonians. Second, Second Thessalonians. Um, I mean, this is. The thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it's funny because I was I, I was uh, I was talking to somebody um, over this last week and. They were talking about like the fatum of revelations and how we're about to hit a hundred years of a uh, hundred years since the the revelations fatima oh, in, in twenty seventeen and in and uh, and how mm-hmm. like basically we're perched on the edge of nuclear war and the whole world's going to be destroyed and I was oh, like geez. I was like I was like ah I was like I was like this feels I was like <laughs> tastes like burning jeez <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah and that's just- that's a stark it, it conversation. Is, it's a, it's a stark conversation, and so like in the it says like, brothers and sisters, we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and powerfully bring to fulfillment every good purpose and every effort of faith, that in the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him in accord with the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that perfect though? It's per. I mean, like that's exactly like like what our longing for is with everybody. Like that's that's the thing is it's like. I like sometimes I see those bumper stickers and it says, um, God bless the whole world, no exceptions. And and it like it, it like hurts because it's like on <laughs> on, on, on one on one on one part it, it like has a truth within it. Yeah, absolutely. Like we are actually our goal is to have worldwide blessing, to be able to actually draw people all up in the mystery of Jesus Christ and to and to ask for the worthiness of all of the Zacchaeuses, those who have kind of like rejected but that are curious to like make them worthy so that the, in that encounter that everything can be transformed inside of them. Not necessarily everything's okay, and and just like there's right. a, that there that there's no there's there, there's no demand, like because that that's the thing that we see in Zacchaeus. It's so powerful is that is that the in in the encounter with Christ there is a demand of something inside of us. You can't just be who you once were, right? And that's what this. I mean, it's it's as it's as if Paul is praying for those people. He's praying for the Zacchaeuses, who have received a real calling. Zacchaeus. It doesn't get more stark. He was called. I mean, there, there's uh, the Gospels give you a step-by-step instruction manual for what discipleship is. And the first step is Jesus calls. And when called, the good disciple follows. And when they follow, they're supposed to cling and be close to Jesus. What Paul is saying is if you've been like Zacchaeus, no matter where you come from in life. I mean, Matthew was a tax collector too. It's not just, you know, there's a lot of tax collectors floating around. But God made you worthy of that calling. He called you down from the tree. You looked like an idiot up there. And he, I mean, think of all the places in our lives where we just sit and we look like idiots and we do 
we make bad decisions and I'm sitting up in my dumb little tree <laughs> and God sees me and he looks at me and he's like, what are you doing up there? Come on down. Right. And I want to be made worthy of that calling so that he can bring to fulfillment every good purpose and every effort of faith. And that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That's that people it. may look at Zacchaeus and be, God be praised because of that guy. This guy that we hated, geez, God be praised because of you. Yeah. I see you're different. I see you are changed. St. Paul, who was literally stoning Christians, shows up in a church in Antioch one day and he's like, hey guys, can I be one of you? Yeah. And then he becomes the emblem for conversion for Christian St. Augustine, who is a you know total wild man. And he becomes emblematic for the way that God can bring his purposes to fruition. Dude, I think even of, in the likes of that guy. Absolutely, I think about this this friend of mine from from high school. This dude, I mean, from college. Well, he wasn't a friend of mine. He was a pizza <laughs> delivery guy named Ned, and uh, and and Ned was like terrifying. He looked like he was in the band uh, like Anthrax. Ooh, he, he just isn't that a isn't that a heavy metal chemical band? drug? Yeah, it is. Okay, but like he just he was just like terrifying. He'd deliver you your pizza. And like you're like, dude, this guy, he was just like weird and terrifying, but like this guy had the most profound conversion and gave himself over to mission and it was like transformed like nothing else. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's what, like you. Oh, thanks. Well, I just saw something I've never seen in I or that I didn't see preparing this. I, I <laughs> I'll confess. I'll be honest. I didn't totally keep reading the second part of First Thessalonians. I was like, okay, I got it. Or Second Thessalonians. I was like, I got it. That's a great connection. <laughs> Just like I what we were talking this, about I earlier. I didn't really pay much attention to the second paragraph. Listen to this. We ask you, brothers and sisters, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus. Do you know what the word is in Greek for coming? It's the word parousia. Oh, Parousia doesn't just mean I'm coming over to your... When, when he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house, it's, it's not the word parousia. It's like revelation? Parousia is the visit of a dignitary. A parousia oh. is what President Nasser in Cairo, Egypt did when everyone came out of the city and dragged his car with their ropes. A parousia is the visit of a king, of a dignitary. And Paul is saying with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus, the thing that he did in Jericho... When he came to Jericho, the parousia, and our assembling with him, and we all went out of the town of Jericho and met him, not to be shaken out of your minds suddenly or to be alarmed either by a spirit or oral statement or by a letter allegedly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is at hand. Jesus parousia, he came to the city of Jericho. The people assembled to meet him. But then he said something that they did not want to hear. He extended mercy just a little bit too far for their tastes. Right. And they were shaken out of their minds and alarmed. Mm. And they heard a word or an oral statement that they did not think was legit. There's other ways you can apply that. Yeah. But I'm hearing it in terms Ooh. of the crowd in Jericho. Is so good, dude. That's it, man. You just made it happen. You was like, dude. That's cool. I didn't see that before. I didn't either. Like that, that, that parousia unlocked it and so the question is for paul and for us when jesus comes and he's going to come at the second coming in a very real way in his parousia but in another way he comes to us every day he shows up at our little tree every day and when he comes and when he asks us to do the unthinkable or when he offers his mercy to the unthinkable or when he does something in our world that shakes us are we going to be rattled out of our minds are we going to be shaken when we see the things that the Lord is doing that are confusing to us or that seem wrong to us or seem whatever? Are we going to be shaken when we see the works that the Lord is doing? 
Or are we going to act in confidence and say, man, I don't understand how this is working. I don't understand how this guy, Zacchaeus, is ever going to come to you, but I'm going to trust you. Even if I don't get it, even if I'm confused, even if I'm even troubled by it or a little bit angry about it, I'm going to follow you. Because the call of a discipleship, the call of discipleship is to be called, to follow, and then to stick with him. And for most of the Gospels, that's all the disciples can do. They don't understand. They're confused. They're mad. They're frustrated. All they can do is literally just hang on and say, we're just going to stick with you because we don't get it. And even at the end, they don't stick with him. Most of them abandon him at the cross. So the question is, when things get weird, when the cross shows up and you're like, how did this happen? How is it that my king is hanging on a cross all of a sudden? Or I am. What are you going to do? Are you going to be rattled out of your heads? Or are you going to stick with him? Hmm. Gosh, I also, I just had this last insight and then we should probably finish. Mm. Um, but the um, Zacchaeus went up into the tree. He mm. took him down and Jesus went up in the tree in the place of Zacchaeus. Boom! You know what I'm saying? The tree of the cross. Right. <laughs> Casey missed it. Yeah, Casey. <laughs> Boom. Boom. That's it. That's it. Oh, I, there's nothing more to add than that. Dude, thank you guys for joining us. May the God be glorified within you. Yes, indeed. We'll see you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.